Okay, um, for those of you who may have just come in in the last few minutes, this is not the usual post-sermon sort of uh, breakdown, ABF. Um, I have a uh, sort of side topic here um, that ties in a little bit with Daniel's sermon today. So if, if that interests you, feel free to stay. Today, Lord willing, we're going to briefly examine Scripture's account of a lost world and an absolutely singular era in the history of our planet. This antediluvian or pre-flood world, I'm of course speaking of the Genesis 7 flood, endured for over 1600 years before dying a very violent death. Yet God's word connects us to this strange era, even as we are separated from it by the greatest act of physical destruction yet unleashed on creation. I hope to unpack this account including some of the oddest beings in all scripture, the Nephilim. Remember that all scripture, no matter how mysterious it may seem, is profitable for training in righteousness. We may even discover some rather uncomfortable similarities with our own era today, and we will certainly observe the character of our mighty God. So, In Daniel's sermon today, we had this stellar example of the archangel Michael. And uh, today we're gonna talk about um, some angels that did not meet up with that holy standard. So a little background here just to get our timeline going. Genesis, start with uh, way back at the beginning. Genesis one, God creates the world, man and woman. God gives them a mandate in verse 28 of Genesis chapter one, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis two, God rests. Genesis three, a fallen angel, Satan, tempts Eve, sin enters the world. Genesis four, Adam and Eve's first son, Cain, murders his brother. And it's in Genesis four that I'm going to kind of start picking up so we get a little picture of this world, okay? And again, this is the, the pre-flood world, very interesting, interesting time in history. Um, so we see in uh, Genesis 4, verses 17 through 22, we start seeing what's going on on the earth. And it's a little bit of good and a little bit of bad. The good is we see that man is beginning to subdue the earth. It's in many ways, it's a time of developments in technology and culture. Um, Genesis records the building of cities, animal husbandry, music, musical instruments, and the forging of metal instruments. This is something that um, is new. It is something that um, is being developed by men. Um, They are fulfilling this mandate from God. They're spreading across the earth. They're subduing the earth. And these all seem like very good things. Um, And people also, um, in verse 26, At this time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So there is some at least calling on God's name or or worshipful behavior. However, it's not all good. Um, We see also as as a model of, in um, Genesis 4, we see Lamech, you may remember that name, who boasted of killing a man for striking him. So there's already um, violence continuing in the world as started with Cain. So boasting of murder, not a good thing. In Genesis 5, we continue on and we see um, Adam's descendants as they're passed down towards Noah. We see a couple of things. One, people in this era have uh, have what we would call an immensely long life, eight, 900 years. Many, many people live a very long time. Um, Adam lived 930 years, okay. Noah, lived 600 years, okay, when the flood began. He was 600 years old. And the flood, as best we can guess from going back and counting these dates, occurred um, 1,656 years after creation. So to save you from having to grab your smartphones and flip out the old calculator, that means that there's only about 126 years between the death of Adam, the first man, and the birth of Noah, right? So I want you to think about what that world would be like, okay? Adam lived a very long time. Adam, who had seen the Garden of Eden. Adam, who remembered the world before sin, right? Adam, who had 
seen God. So Adam is out there, he's talking, you know, he, he can communicate with these people for 900 plus years. And I think that's an interesting point to be made that we have Adam who, who remembers all this, who's out there in the world. Imagine if you could talk to the man, the first man, you know what I mean? The man who'd seen God, the man who'd walked and spoke with God. Like that would be interesting to you, right? And that would be very instructive if you wanted to know like, hey, how did all this begin? Well, there's the first guy, go talk to him. He's 800 and something years old, but you can still go talk to him. And this stretches on so far that, you know, he, he comes within 126 years of, of Noah. Um, so the, we, have this, we have these developments in, in culture. Um, we have this um, man is multiplying across the face of the earth. However, we get to uh, Genesis 6, and this is really where our story kind of picks up because this is um, the beginning of the end of this uh, pre-flood world. We've got a mic out there. Would someone like to read Genesis 6, 1 through 8, please? This is ABF. It's not going to be all me talking today, so you guys have to participate some. 1 through 8. Genesis 6, 1 through 8, please. I got it. I'm ready. Okay. It's all good. Now it came about when the men began to, <clears throat> excuse me, when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things uh, and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Thank you, Al. Well, that's a lot. There's some, some, there's some very definite bad news there for the world. Um, we also see um, the strange mention of the Nephilim, right? When the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, that's pretty unusual in Scripture. If you, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Nephilim. There's a few theories on um, what they might be. Um, I'm going to advocate um, one and just lay all my cards on the table. I think they are fallen angels. I think they are demons. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll show you a couple of the other theories here, but just to um, lay some basis for um, my position, I'd like someone to read Job chapter 1, verse 6, please. And there is a mic, so yeah, if you're, it's just one verse, it's not too bad. <laughs> Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves for the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The sons of God, same word, same phrase, as we see here in Genesis, the sons of God, and Satan came with them. So I would argue that these are angelic beings. I think, I think it holds. Um, and they're most certainly fallen angelic beings, and we'll talk more about why they're fallen. The Nephilim, as near as I can tell, looked it up several places in the Hebrew, means fallen or falling ones. And it says here that they're um, the result of this union of children between the sons of God and the daughters of men. Um, so a quick word on angels here. Um, angels are created beings, okay? They're, they're supernatural created beings. Um, but a couple of unique things about them. Job 38, if you read through there, angels witnessed and cheered God on at creation. They, they rejoiced in the creation. So they have been here to see the creation of our universe. But they are themselves created beings. 
Um, Satan was an angel. If you want to look it up in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, he was a powerful angel, and his pride and ambition made him desire to rise above his created position. We heard that excellent illustration in the sermon this morning about an angel who knew his position. And here we have an example of an, of, of an angel who, who wanted more, whose pride drove him to try to seek more, to seek more authority, to seek a, a, a position that was not his own. He didn't obey God, and he was cast down with his following angels. You can read about that in Revelation 12. Another interesting point is that angels do not receive mercy the same way we do. Would someone like to, like to read uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4? Just trying to give you guys a little better picture on um, angels so we have all that in mind as we move forward. Second Peter 2, 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Um, Absolutely. That's it. That's it. I mean, that, it, it's short, but that's it. Um, angels, um, <clears throat> or, or angels don't get grace the way you and I get grace. The, the, the business of our salvation, 1 Peter 1 says, it's something which, into which angels long to look. They don't get grace offered to them the same way you and I do, and that's important. They get judged um, for their sin. Um, one other point that I think we'll bear here with our story, um, angels, we have this in Genesis, can also appear with their glory veiled in the form of men. In Genesis 19, Lot refers to the angels that come to save him from um, his fate at Sodom and Gomorrah as men. So, so angels apparently, or at least some angels, have the ability to, to mask their um, glory for a time and appear as men. Hebrews 13 mentions with speaking of hospitality, and it says that some of you have entertained angels unaware, right? So apparently there are, it is possible for an angel to appear in a, in a human form. Um, and that I think is um, what we are seeing here in Genesis 6, um, when it talks about angels fathering children with women on earth. Angels are created beings just like you and I are. They have their proper position. They have their proper authority. And here we see a unique position where the angels leave that proper created order, right? And um, they're tempted by the loveliness of women whom God has created on earth, right? And they're just like, well, I'd, I would like to go be part of that. And certainly angels, as we have seen, have authority and power but that was not the position God had created for them. That was not their proper position. So these are certainly um, fallen angels. Um, I'll read to you, um, we're gonna read a little bit more out of Jude, but I'm gonna back up just a little bit from where we were this morning. This is Jude, um, <clears throat> well, I did, we did read this this morning. Jude uh, 6, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in what? Sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. Okay? So there's a connection there, right, with these angels who pursued unnatural desires, who did not stay in their own position of authority. Um, so these are, these are, I believe these are angels, as, as near as we can tell. I believe they're fallen angels, certainly, who have not done what Michael did, but who have lusted after things that they were not to have, who have tried to occupy positions they, that, they were, that were not given to them by God. Um, so they're fallen because of what they've done. Um, and uh, one other point that I should make um, that, may, that, that I found that I was kind of uh, not, not expecting in Genesis 6, when it says um, the Nephilim um, took as their wives, right, any they chose, I read a couple things that advocated the, um, this theory that angels in human form were sort of forcing themselves upon the, the women on the earth because they lusted after them. I don't think that is correct because of the language that is used um, that took as their wives 
if you, that we have a lot of people, uh, records of people getting married throughout the book of Genesis, and if you look, that phrase is closer akin to just what you would do to go out and find a wife, right? It's not, it, it is a, I'm going out, I'm getting married, it doesn't have, and, and another thing we have in Genesis is accounts of rape, right? The words are not, the words are different. So it does not seem as though that there's a, a forcing of this issue, um, but we have this um, unnatural, <laughs> We have this unnatural um, union between these demons and fallen angels and, and, and women on earth. And um, it's, it creates these uh, Nephilim who are called men of renown. Does anyone know, what does renown mean? Renown? Yes. Yes, yes. It's just the condition when you're being talked about by many people, right? Are these mighty men. Um, so, and... And as I was thinking about this, you have to, um, real quickly here, let, let's talk about, because I said I would, a couple other theories on the Nephilim and why I don't, I don't really, at this point, think that these hold so well. One of the theories that, if you look it up, you'll find on the Nephilim is that they're, um, the Nephilim were produced by the godly line of Seth intermarrying with the ungodly daughters of Cain. I, that's out there. You can find it in commentaries. I... <laughs> I don't think there's any such thing as a godly line. All men are sinful, you know. They, I, I, I have, it doesn't fit really well, and, and the phrase is used, the sons of God seems to fit better with angels. Um, also, um, I found a spot where it argued that tyrannical rulers from Lamech, remember him? Boasted about killing a guy. Uh, Lamech's ungodly line, marrying with these daughters of men. But if that's the case, why is all the masculine on one side? You know, I, I have questions about that as well. Um, these are other theories that, you know, you feel free to look up more. It is a, it is, um, a mysterious time, but I, I think that we're talking about demons, and we have this odd demonic activity on earth. Um, so my question, as I was thinking about this, was in many ways this was a time that had 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 many technological advances, men are, are spreading and proliferating across the face of the earth. It would seem like they're fulfilling God's mandate in that way, and you have these new discoveries, and in, in some ways it seems like life is good. Um, however, what would a society, you know, look like when you're having these unnatural unions and when... Um, and when men are pursuing their own desires. And Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God is a holy God. God takes his created order, the positions where he's placed his created order and his own authority very seriously. So not only do you have these, this demonic activity do you have these unnatural unions producing men, which, I mean, you can only imagine the effect this would have on society. Um, it's, you also have, you know, men's hearts. And it's really interesting, in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord doesn't say, oh, it's all because of these fallen angels. He said, they saw that the wickedness of who? Of man was great in the earth. So God doesn't get a, you know, the, the people don't get a pass because of these fallen angels. It's like, no, you're wicked. You're wicked, the world is overwhelmingly wicked. And it's so, it, it is so wicked that God expresses grief and regret. Um, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Now, really quickly, if you look at 1 Samuel 15, God does not express regret the same way you and I do. Like, oh, I made a mistake. It, it's not that kind of regret, but there is in a very real sense a regret over the condition of the earth. Um, if you want to look that up, 1 Samuel 15, 28, and 29, God doesn't experience regret the same way we do, but there's real, real regret about the condition that the earth has come to, and there's this odd demonic activity, and, and in the midst of um, these cultural advancements and the proliferation of man, and it seems like things are going well, every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. So... <laughs> The world, this world, this world that we walk around on has been in a state of advanced evil before, okay? This world, this very world that you and I walk around on that we live in, 
And here is kind of the crux. This is what hit me the hardest of studying this passage. God's decision for this antediluvian world was judgment, okay? Um, God said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of heaven. God's judgment rightly fell on this sinful earth. God is holy and he does not stand for his creatures leaving their created roles or despising his authority. God can, does, and as we see, has glorified himself by punishing this evil, okay? And that's really what hit me so hard about this, and I'm almost done here, and then we're gonna open it up for more questions and discussions. I won't talk at you for too long. We live on this side of the cross, right? We have this amazing gift, okay? This salvation. God's salvation was not a foregone conclusion. God had a choice. He could have gone both ways with it, right? Because we see here, save for eight people, he finished up with man on earth and wiped them out, except for eight people. We often treat it like it's a foregone conclusion just because we're so blessed to live here, but God has judged the world on a monumental scale before. I saw a bumper sticker, maybe it was a, something the other day, and it was something like, if God is real, why doesn't he deal with evil? And I was like, don't you wish, you may just get it, okay? So when I study this, I'm struck by both the, 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 the peculiarity, peculiarity of the time, but also I contrast it with um, today, and I'm, and I'm just so thankful so thankful for um, what we get to enjoy and, and the hope that we have and that we have that God didn't choose to just wipe us out. We certainly deserve it. Um, and I'd like to kind of finish up this little bit here by reading you um, a, a very hopeful passage. It's in Second Peter 2, 4 through 10, if you want to turn to it. And I've got more, but I'm going to stop here in just a second and get some thoughts and feedback. 2 Peter 2, 4 through 10. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of utter darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood against the, the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And if the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. We can trust God to judge the wicked. He has a excellent track record of doing so. And that's why we can rest in this world sometimes when we see great evil that we don't seem to be able to um, deal with or that doesn't seem to receive earthly justice. We can trust God's eternal judgment. But here we also see The, the Lord also knows how to rescue the godly, and that's our hope, right? This side of the cross, God has given us a way to be forgiven, a way to be counted as righteous, something um, that I just feel like there are times when I take that for granted because, you know, it's always been available to me, but there's a whole lot of people in this world. I, we could speculate about it, but it hardly bears even thinking about what it would feel like to see an entire world drowned to death, right? Wiped away. We see... We see the horribleness of um, tsunamis and earthquakes and floods, localized things, they're terrible, they're frightening. Um, even for places that are well prepared, um, it, it's, it's a horrifying, um, violent end. And we can barely imagine what a worldwide flood would look like, right? So it just makes me all the more grateful for um, the, 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 um, the salvation that is available to us and for the, the price that was paid. Um, 
That's really all I've got. I said I wouldn't talk for forever, so I'll cut it off there. I'd like some feedback. I've got more verses. I've got more thoughts. We could talk about questions. If I can answer them, I'll try. If I can't, I will most certainly wait, <laughs> and maybe we, I can dig up the answer for you. But this, this study of this you know, pre-flood world, we don't get a lot of information about it, and what we get is certainly very interesting, but it still serves as an example for us. Okay, and then we know that God, God can and does judge. His mercy is a precious thing. Um, and God takes authority and walking in correct relationship with him very seriously, whether we're a physical being or an angelic being, God's order is God's order and God's authority is his authority and we ought not to trifle with these things. So that's my thought. Um, love to hear some more thoughts, questions, comments. I'm reading through the Bible in uh, chronological order, and I just got done with Nahum. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how the prophets, a lot of it was judgment on Israel and uh, the surrounding countries, but also God's judgment and his anger and wrath against the world. And I just like to read a little bit what it says in Nahum, just please. a few verses. Please do. Can you give us where it is, please? Nahum chapter 1, verse 2, it says, A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And later on it says, The mountains quake because of him, and the hills dissolve Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence. The Lord and all the inhabitants in it, and who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken up by him. But, well, it doesn't say but, but verse 7, it says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. So that gives me great hope, that last verse, yeah. to know that because of Jesus Christ, we are safe from his wrath if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But it's also a warning to the people that we know around us that are going to have to undergo the wrath of God if they have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a real thing. And just reading these Old Testament prophets has been an eye-opener. You know, I've read them before, but it's to realize the time is getting short and God is going to destroy this world again, not by a flood this time, it's by fire. And those ones that we care about and know about are going to be lost forever and going to be destroyed and put in hell because if they don't come to faith in Christ. And I know it's not up to us to save, us, save them, but we, God, you know, we should pray, obviously, and, and a lot of us are for, you know, people we know, because this judgment is coming, and it's real. And what you're talking about today, it's, it's good to keep in mind. Thank you. No, that's, that's great. And that was actually... That was perfect. That was one of the points that came up to me. It was just like, what's our motivation to go out there, you know, and, and share Christ? We, we have a, a, an example of a judgment, um, but we, there's another far more, you know, even worse judgment to come. And also, uh, the, there will be greatly increased demonic activity on the earth again as part of that judgment. I defer to Dave Lample on all matters regarding Revelation, but yes, if you, you know, we can talk about that as well. There, there will be a time, too, of um, a, another time of uh, increased demonic activity on earth. So, yes, great motivation. Because, like, if you saw a flood coming, you'd tell someone, well, get into the boat, right? Well, it says Noah was a herald of righteousness. And it also says that, you know, God gave him 120 years, right? Noah's, you know, telling people, hey, you know, and the earth was so wicked that, you know, his, his words were not heeded. So that's, it's a powerful motivator for us today. You, you know, you would certainly try and pull someone out of such oncoming destruction. So, yeah, thank you. That's, that's fantastic. Lucas. So, Isaiah 42, verse 14. For a long time I have 
held my peace, I have kept still and retained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor, I'll gasp in pain. Thank you. Um, appreciate it. Chris. So something interesting to weigh in on your, um, which theory you favor for the Nephilim Yes, and I, I, if you've got a, better, a good argument for another theory, I'd certainly like to hear I it. I don't. I'm, uh, I'm actually reinforcing yours. But, oh. uh, the <laughs> yeah, and um, so the term Nephilim, mm -hmm. the Hebrew root of that, mm -hmm. and I get the root of this from the mm -hmm. MacArthur Study Bible. My Hebrew is rusty. It's a good place I, to start. Right. But uh, where he goes with it isn't where I'm about to go. But the root of Nephilim is actually fallen. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when it says there were giants in that time, mm -hmm. it looks like a better translation might be there were fallen ones mm -hmm. on the earth in that time, mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, when we look at the fallen angels right. concept, it makes a lot of sense to, to assume that the fallen ones that they're talking about in right. the context of this conversation right. were fallen angels. Yeah. So. No. Yeah. Thank you. That that I think that does support that. Um, and I haven't. One thing I'm not going to touch. I, I threw away several pages of notes on this. Is the post diluvian or or the rest of the Old Testament? There's a lot of language about giants and abnormal physical specimens. Okay. And we could get into theories. Um, there's a theories like. You have to, um, th there's different ways to account for the Old Testament giants, okay? Some people would just say, these are men of abnormally large stature, right? NBA center giants, you know what I mean? Just, just unusually large giants. They seem to come in families, uh, particularly it speaks about the area around Gath. Um, we could talk about some of those things. Um, so there would be just the theory that the giants in the rest of the Old Testament are just abnormally large folks. There's the theory that the giants in the, in the rest of the Old Testament are somehow progeny from these Nephilim that, that survived, although that seems unlikely because except for eight people, everybody else on earth was destroyed, so how are you gonna pass that down? And then I've read, although I can't find any basis for it, the idea that these unions occurred again later to create the giants. I think, just based on the, the, the volume of reading I did for this, it was more likely that um, <laughs> the crossover is the terminology, right? They're calling them giants because they're, you know, that it, that it becomes a sort of, they're referring to them as giants because they're big instead of because of their specific lineage. That seems likely, but there are, again, other theories, and we're not going to get into all the other Old Testament giants. There's some really cool reading there if you want to go down that rabbit trail. Um, yes. Oh, Al. I'll and then Jeremy. <clears throat> there we go. Hear me? Okay, there he is. I'll start, and then Jeremy can, uh, you know, finish up on me. But uh, no, just the uh, the antediluvian world. Um, you know, there's there's, I think, a resurgence of a lot of people looking into that now. And uh, I've actually, like Dennis, uh, reading through the Old Testament again, but also looking into a lot of other things that were, you know, historic. Uh, books that are not part of the canon but Enoch and Jesher and, mm -hmm. and uh, Jubilee and mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of information there that gives you a little more insight and you got to be careful with it but um, certainly mm -hmm. it was referred to by a lot of the early writers mm -hmm. and part of the Dead Sea Scrolls in a lot of places so there's, there's a lot of history there that's pretty interesting and um, I'm sure you've read some of that as well. <laughs> there, there, I will testify there's a variety of opinions on the Nephilim yeah, and yeah. the end of these things as well. I, I, there's some other theories we, um, I didn't even want to get into. Um, that I read some, uh, I read a, a MacArthur, uh, MacArthur, spec, uh, well, I would say speculated, MacArthur thought that, um, if you guys are interested, um, that the angels weren't veiling themselves that it was more one, this is, and, and again, I, I wasn't really comfortable putting this out there because to me it's a, lot, it's a long way beyond the text, but, but his thought was that we have one account of a fallen angel, Satan, offering Eve something that wasn't supposed to be hers, right? And because she wanted it, she was willing to, you know, 
do something she wasn't supposed to do. And he speculated that, you know, maybe these angels weren't veiled, but in fact that they were sort of like, hey, you know, I'm an angel. I have, you know, power. I have authority, you know, let's make a union of some sort here. But that, that to me was a little far afield beyond the text, so I don't want to speculate there. Um, but yes, there's a variety of opinions, Al, and the history is deep and um, it's a little scary too. There, there is. Uh, the, the opinions are just almost without end. But, uh, you know, it does make it clear that they, they were here before the flood and after the flood. Yes. It clearly states that. How that happened, you know, everything from hiding in caves mm -hmm. below the surface yeah. to, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. the DNA of Ham mm -hmm. going on down through. I mean, there's just all kinds yeah. of stuff out there. But very interesting. Um, just a... Uh, but it gives you, I think, what it's done for me is not only reinforce scripture, but gives you a much better insight of to, to some of the thinking and some of the things that went on. And, and even talking about the, uh, you know, all the world being corrupt, all flesh, even the animals. So, you know, were the animals really corrupt or God just said, hey, let's do it. Let's, let's get rid of it all and start over. Or no. was it because, yeah, they had been corrupted, even the DNA had changed, you know, there's, no. there's, there's all kinds of stuff out no. there, but it's very interesting things to think about. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, it, it's interesting, but the, the big, with all that, all that there, and you're certainly right, the, the, when I was trying to get this ready, my working title, which I guess is now just the title, is When God Chooses Judgment, right? Because to me, that's what this is. This is like... The world was incredibly evil. I mean, many special circumstances we don't totally understand. But what we do understand was the proliferation of evil and how ubiquitous it was. And I look around, I'm kind of like, I don't know. The world seems pretty evil now, you know. And, and it's like uh, Dennis was saying, you can feel that you can, you know, that, that was like makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. There's another judgment coming, right? So, um, but. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Not normal. Um, yes, Jeremy. Just uh, two other texts that dovetail in with this um, nicely. In Matthew 8, when Jesus encounters the two demoniacs by the Gerizines, they cry out to him in Matthew 8, 29. What have we to do with, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So under this view, and I, I agree with the view you're taking, there is a cadre of fallen demons already placed under judgment, and so there's a precedent for their concern. Um, they, they know there's a day of judgment coming, and their, their fear is, have you come to send us there ahead of time? Mm -hmm. And also there's a reference to that in 1 Peter 1, um, 1 Peter 3. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. In, so, the, da in the days, days of, of Noah. Noah. Yeah. So, so my take, my understanding on that, because when he made a proclamation, it's not the word gospelize, it's, it's just the word proclaim. Right. My take is Jesus went to announce his victory to those angels already right. under judgment, lest yeah. there be any any sentient being in all of the universe who does not know that he won. So you've got these angels in judgment, in chains from the time of Noah, from and the time of Noah. And he went and made a proclamation to them. And, yeah. I, and I think yeah. it's less they think their side's winning. Yeah. We may be under judgment, but our team's going to win. Yeah. No, yeah. no, you lose. Jesus shows up and he's like, oh, you heard I died? It's over. Yes. I have my yes. victory is yeah. now complete. Yeah. The news for you is worse than ever. Right? So, those, so those additional passages also harmonize neatly with the notion that there's a group of angels Thank prematurely you. placed under judgment. Yeah. Anyway. No, that, that's perfect. And the first Peter 3, absolutely hit that one up. I had that in my notes. I hadn't gotten to it. <laughs> no, I, I passed over it. No, no, I just, um, I was trying to cut so much, but um, I, I fear sitting up here talking endlessly while you guys get bored and fall asleep. So I thought, you know, this would be the time. I wanted to hear what you had. To, thank you. I wanted to hear what you had to say. Yeah. <laughs> but no. Um, yeah, yes. Sorry, Greg. Well, when I heard, uh, or when you were talking about the the angels cohabitating with women, mm -hmm. I was reminded of every time in the Old Testament, nearly, 
that anyone encountered an angel, they fell on their face because the angel appeared as some ethereal being that, that uh, they were afraid of. Right. Um, and I'm thinking, what woman would want to approach that that being? Yeah. And that, but then I remembered that that uh, we have precedents of of uh, angels restraining their appearance. Yes. When we see, for instance, uh, uh, when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb after Jesus right. was killed. She encountered a couple of angels that were in the garden, as I recall, and spoke to them. And yes. they said something to the effect of, why are you looking here? Or who are you looking for? Yes. And she, that they were not manifest in that same way, or she would have known instantly that these right. are, are uh, heavenly beings. Right. And she just thought they were men. Mm -hmm. And so th that, mm -hmm. that can happen, mm -hmm. th that they can... Yes. I disguise them themselves or... I completely agree. We have like angels like, unto you this day is born in the city of David. We have angels in their glory and people, yes, tend to fall on their face and hope not to die. Um, but apparently angels can also mask that. Again, angels unaware, like they can cover it up at least for a time. And perhaps that is the answer. That is one possible answer to this question of the Nephilim. Um, and um, the other alternative really, it would be sort of the MacArthur... Um, no, they weren't fully, it was more like Satan. It was like, I have something I can give you. You know what I mean? I don't know. Well, I'm especially interested in hearing about Al Ostrander's Nephilim hiding in uh, caves underneath the water. <laughs> I, uh, yes, I... Just, I was, I was just going to say, there is a line of thinking out there, just like Greg said, that... Mm -hmm that, um, you know, these really did make themselves as, these were blonde-haired, blue-eyed, mm. good-looking guys, and the women were like, hmm, sure, yeah. Yeah. you know? Yeah. I, found, I found it immensely entertaining, well, not entertaining, I found it odd that angels could be tempted by God's creation, women, sort of, you know, in the creation of the earth, you know, what's the last thing God makes? The last, you know, fully unique piece of creation, right? Sort of the, the, the caps, you know, that, that gem on top of everything else is, is, is women. And I found it interesting that, yeah, y'all heard that, right? Um, and, I, and I just found that really interesting that spiritual beings would be, um, could be tempted by the loveliness of women, right? And that's very interesting. But then, of course, we know that they're fallen beings because unlike, you know, the archangel who's like, I have my role and I will, I will, I will do what God has given me to do and occupy this place and not one step beyond that. We, and this, instead, we have angels that are just sort of like, if it looks good to me, I want it. You know what I mean? And, and that, that seems to be the thing. And, and and that's fascinating too, but I do want to, one last point of application here in 6.5, when the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. So all this to say, the demonic activity does not give men a pass, okay? Because I've read some people that are sort of like, oh, this was all, the, the people couldn't help it. You know what I mean? It was forced upon them. You know, no, no, no. We, we, we have men, they're really wicked. The intentions of their heart are wicked in the same way that men are wicked today. I just, so, so all that is very interesting, but I don't want to get away. God doesn't say, oh, it's okay, you couldn't help it, you know, with all the demonic stuff. And, and like Jeremy said, interesting, we have this cluster of recorded demonic activity around the time of Christ. So we have this like early demonic activity, you know, antediluvian, pre-flood demonic activity. And then we have this just cluster of demonic activity around the time of Christ, and then we have a, a future, you know what I mean, like past, present, like a future promise of this demonic activity. And um, it is scary, but we also know that we serve the God who's created all beings and who, you know, snaps his fingers and everything falls into, you know, falls into its perfect place, or it is, you know, so there's not a... That's, that's the hope for me, is that we serve a God who, who is omnipotent over all these forces, and that unlike in the flood world, he's provided a way, a way out, you know, that he's not just going to destroy everyone. So, makes me thankful. Was there a hand up over here? Did I miss one? Sorry, I get up. Oh, I'm sorry. Greg first, and then, and then down here. Sorry. I saw you. 
hijacked the topic, so uh -oh. somebody else is... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you, Serena. Hand up in the back. Jeremy, I don't know how you sit up here. It's not... <laughs> I have not... I'm going to stand up. Okay. I... I move to the steps a lot, too. Something. I... He knows something I don't. I was just thinking in support of MacArthur's idea is that from what we know in scripture about tribes and clans and everybody's families being so important, like um, um, Abraham has like 400 trained men in his thing. I cannot imagine there wouldn't be fathers who would say, yes, I'm going to get one of those as a son-in-law. Think of what army I'm going to build right. in my house with right. half demonic beings as my... Yeah, no, it, you, you could picture, I, I, that's true, you could picture how a demon, we know that demon, you know, a, a demon, Satan tempted Eve, so you could picture the whole idea, it's like, hey, I'm supernatural, I can give you something that you don't have, you know what I mean? Or I can give you some, some maybe power authority. Now, it's not power authority you're supposed to have, you know, I can give you something, you know? It's just like, you know, you, do, you wanna, do you wanna know? Eat the fruit, right? Do you wanna know? Well, let's have kids together. That would be in support of that theory, and it's terrifying, but I mean, Serena, it like, to, in today's world, in today's, think about the world, if, um, if some being showed up and said, hey, uh, I'm a demon, but um, if I have children with a woman, these will be, unusual or you know renowned children of renowned i i am sad to say i think there would be women in the world who would happily make that trade today in this world so that would be in support of that theory that's scary but i don't think it's that far afield question or thought did, did greg have did greg go already greg punted he's right? gonna let you go first because he's oh, gonna okay. change the he's gonna change our direction to a different Okay, um, so a good interpretive practice when like a, a word is ambiguous is to look for the author using it in other places. So that's what I did. I, it's just a cursory reading, but the same word or a similar form of the word is used in Deuteronomy uh, 32.8. Um, I'm going to read uh, just a little bit before it and just a little bit after it. Sure. Which, which, um, which word is it? Uh, it's, hang on, let me, let me look at it. I'm just reading a, a commentary. I just opened Logos okay. really quickly. But sure. it's, uh, it's Bene, um, Bene, Hel I'm not, Elohim. Elohim. Yeah, Bene Elohim and Bene Elim. Mm -hmm. um, they're like similar forms of, of like the same word. But um, anyways, I'm going to start in the end of seven. So your elders, they will tell you, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples, and according to the number of the sons of God, that's the, that's the word in question. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then in nine, it's like, but the, uh, the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. Mm -hmm. So to me, that seems pretty clearly to be referring to um, the line of, like God's chosen people has elect, like the line of Jacob, which mm -hmm. can go back to Seth. Sure. My, um, I have a text, I have a translational note here that says sons of Israel. Do you also have that one as well? For that uh, yeah, that it can, that, the term can be translated as mm -hmm. that. So like, in the, like, I'm just reading from a commentary. Sure. Um, but like the word may be translated, the mm -hmm. sons of the living God, mm -hmm. which is used for the people of Israel. For sure. Usually, like in, in Hosea 1.10, uh, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not a, a deep scholar of Hebrew, and since you're not either, but we can, you know, we'll, we can talk about that. Um, but, again, the translational stuff is, is super important, as you point out, and, and that phrase, you know, sons of God. Um, the nearest connection I could make that seemed to have no variation with it was in that Job one. Um, but, clearly, that's a, that is something that, you know, you could talk about more. I completely agree. But uh, yeah, other, th oh, Greg, it was your turn. I'm sorry, thank you, by the way. Well, I, I just had a thought this morning uh, um, after Daniel's message, uh, not to take away from what you're talking about today, but I was greatly convicted uh, today of, from, from what Daniel was talking about and how easily it is for us to look at our leaders and find fault with them and not to give them the respect that they are due and it's a it's a tremendous um, act of uh, of uh, uh, hypocrisy I guess of finding their faults 
and highlighting them and not and not recognizing that God put them in place. They're God's people. Uh, probably no more, but no less uh, close to God's standard than we ourselves are. We just find the areas where they are uh, wrong and and then um, look at them with disfavor. Mm-hmm. And and I, I was greatly rebuked this morning because I find myself do, easily doing that. Uh, and uh, I, think it, I think in my heart that I'm doing that knowing that God's standard is much higher, but forgetting that who am I? Uh, just as Michael was unwilling to stand above his position mm-hmm. i have been great greatly willing to yeah. do that to my to my shame i agree it's, it's an easy thing to do god's whole created world is hierarchical there's an order to everything and there's an order to um you know to the created order and there's an order to society there's an order to the family um and and that is the way god has made it we don't get to play around with that um, although as we can tell there's constant temptation to do so even even for angelic, supernatural beings, there are temptations to try to subvert that order. Um, so it, it's a powerful temptation. But uh, yeah, I agree. That was very convicting. And uh, I, think, I think that this little account of the world, the antediluvian or pre-flood world, is all about you know people trying, people and bucking under God's authority, and and angelic beings, you know, also fighting against God's authority. Question. Thanks, Greg. I agree with Greg. I believe personally that America is a Romans one nation. I believe that we're under full tilt judgment from God because of the things that I see every day, especially and John MacArthur would talk about it, others would talk about it, the transgenderism, the complete mm-hmm. reprobate, un- non-functioning right. mind, right? Right. And so, are our leaders wicked and terrible? I would say that they are the leaders that we deserve as a country under judgment, and they will destroy us because mm-hmm. that's what we deserve. Well, I'm certainly not going to sit up here and argue that our leaders aren't corrupt. Um, I, I, I see your point. Um, but again, I, our, our hope is in God's final judgment and in His ability to um, save those whom He has given salvation to and a hope that those on the other side of that flood didn't, didn't have the way we do. So, uh, gosh, we're two minutes over time. Sorry, parents. I know you're um, ready to go. Um, any any last-minute thoughts, feel free to come down. I've got a lot more info that we didn't get to today, so. but thank you so much. I hope you found it interesting.